The third lesson is from Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. In the early 2000s, thanks to a uh, director named Peter Jackson, you couldn't uh, swing a cat in church and not hit a preacher using a Lord of the Rings illustration or quoting from Tolkien. And as one that sort of uh, self-fictionalizes as a bit of an iconoclast or unique or special, I try not to use the illustrations that everyone else uses, use the quotes that everyone uh, uses ad nauseum, but sometimes it fits. Uh, in The Lord of the Rings, in The Hobbit, place is very, very important. And we're talking this uh, Advent season about the places of Advent. Where do things happen? In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. In the hobbit hole, there was comfort. It was meant to be a retreat. And in the shire, there was a reliability, a predictability, a normalcy. But then what would happen is this wizard would visit, Gandalf would visit, and he would come and tell tales of adventure, and the hobbits would listen, but they wouldn't want to go with them because hobbits don't have any room in their lives for adventure. It might make them late for dinner. But one sort of misfit hobbit named Bilbo, he consents and he's taken up in this grand adventure with Gandalf and his tidy, little, comfortable, predictable world is turned upside down. And soon he's sleeping on the ground and he's risking his life and he's fighting spiders and looking for rings. 
In the Bible, the people that God uses are almost always nobodies. They're very normal people. People who, upon reflection as we read these stories, feel miscast for the nature of the tale. They're misfits for stories of adventure. Well, in Advent, misfits and nobodies take center stage. People like Mary, someone who is very, very normal. She's not old enough to have done anything remarkable. She's small and weak and very, very common. It's likely she's never been out of her hometown. And suddenly, an angel shows up and wants to take her on this grand adventure. Misfits are a perfect fit for the story that God wants to tell. A story of God taking very normal people and unfitting their normalness. Now, Mary is a very young girl. We don't think about this very often as we read this, or maybe you just don't know, but she's probably 12, 13, maybe 14 years old, which was, believe it or not, prime marrying age in that culture. You see, it was very important for a female's family, for her father to give away a very chaste daughter. And so logically, you would marry them off as soon or close to puberty as possible. For a a woman in that day, the most critical part of their future, of their life, was finding the right kind of man. It was marriage to a good man. And Joseph fit the bill. She's betrothed, which is far more than our engagement, but just a little bit less than marriage. It couldn't be ended without a certificate of divorce or by death. But when you're betrothed, a woman is still under the authority of her household or her her dad and still lives there. So she's very young, she's very sheltered, and her world is finally starting to make sense. She has a plan. She has a future. She has a man that she's going to be married to, and her future is beginning to be reasonably secure. And then an angel shows up. The angel shows up, Gabriel. Now, when Gandalf showed up, there would be a party. There'd be a, a celebration. There'd be a feast, but also a little bit of anxiety among the hobbits, because they knew that he was liable to invite them into his journey, into his adventure. Now, when Gabriel shows up, there's reason to celebrate, because it's this miraculous, momentous occasion, but also terrifying, because life will never be the same again. It will never be tidy, predictable, normal ever again. And the angel says to Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored. Something, as it turns out, Mary would probably come to doubt very soon as he finished the rest of that statement. Greetings, 
you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You will conceive and bear a son, and you are to call him Jesus or Yeshua. God is salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. What Gabriel is laying upon this tiny little adolescent girl is astonishing. The ruler of Israel will be born to her who will sit on David's throne. Well, David has been dead and in the ground for a thousand years, and the throne of Israel doesn't exist anymore. Israel has been a vassal state to a succession of empires, and now they're presently under the thumb of Rome. But Mary would certainly hear in Gabriel's words the echoes of these ancient promises that she would have learned as a child, that one day David's throne would be reestablished, that one day a Messiah would come and sit upon that throne. But it's beyond just earthly kingdoms, right? Because the angel tells him that this child born to this nobody girl in the middle of nowhere will reign forever. Well, how? <laughs> God will take on flesh. God will choose to be human. God will choose to be born to this little child, basically. God's son will be her son. The whole thing is just so preposterous. It's so unbelievable. But Mary, this terrified adolescent, she believes. Now what? Well, for starters, she gets to go back and tell the, the two families. She gets to go back and tell her father, Joseph, and this tight-knit community that they live in that she is going to be with child on her wedding day. But not just a normal child, She's bearing the child of God. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How do you think that's going to go over in Nazareth? How do you think that's going to go over for Joseph? He's going to now marry a pregnant woman? You can't even imagine the level of scandal that that would have been. And Joseph would have had every right to cancel the betrothal and have nothing to do with her, and likely her family wouldn't have anything to do with her, and she'd be on the street. Misfits are a perfect fit for the story that God wants to tell, a story of God taking normal people and unfitting their normalness. And this is one of the, the central motifs in the whole Bible. And this particular story is one of the central stories in all of Christianity. And yet, how often does Christianity in our world feel anything like this? It feels just so damn tame, frankly. 
encountering Jesus in our day doesn't sound like much of a risky adventure at all. It sounds like sort of what you do. You grow up and you go to school and you get a job and you get married and then you settle down in a particular faith. In our culture, that's Christianity. It just feels like one of the things that you have to get in place for your future to make sense, for you to feel like a respectable, tidy person, that you've checked that box. Your religion is no more none, but it's Christianity. And it feels very normal and very, very tame and very, very tidy. It feels content in all the wrong ways. Bilbo is drawn out of his tidiness, his routine, the predictability of his life and the comfort of his hobbit hole, and he's hurled into the unknown. He's sleeping on the ground. He's fighting spiders. It's dangerous, but he has a story to tell. His life has become an adventure. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and her world is turned upside down. She's invited, or maybe we could even say drafted, into an adventure. How does she respond? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Well, friends, I would love for us to think about this Advent season, for us to each ask the question, what in your life are you holding on to that keeps you from living a more adventurous story? What is the hobbit hole that you want to exist in that feels safe but has grown to be confining, that is resisting the call of God on your life that is far more dangerous, but yet far more exciting, far more fun? What image of this good, tidy, American Christian life have you bought into that captivates you so much that you would give up the adventure that God has for you in order to stay safe, in order to keep things predictable, to keep things more under control, to be respectable? What would you give up? What would you give away? What would you try What would you change? How would you mitigate risk differently if you were truly convinced, as Mary was, that God Himself is with you and that He is calling you into the unknown, but that He says that He will go with you and before you? I'd love for all of us to ask that question today, this season. But maybe you're asking a different question set of questions this morning. Maybe you find yourself in church for the first time in a long time or the first time ever. You've come because it's Christmas, because someone has invited you. Maybe you've come because you're at the end of the rope and you've tried all the other pathways and your life feel, still feels out of order. The last thing that you might want is more disruption and I'm with you, me neither. But what if in your situation it is your attachment to your present thinking, 
What if it's your attachment to your spiritual autonomy, to your philosophical agnosticism? What if those are the things that are blocking you from a more fulfilling, exciting future? What if those things are blocking you from seeing and receiving and believing the truth? Perhaps the angel of God is speaking to you this morning in this service and saying, do not be afraid that those things feel safe, but they can grow into a prison that keeps you from the adventure that God wants you to live. Mary's qualifications for this journey, for this calling, were absolutely zilch, nothing. She's from Nazareth, not Jerusalem. She's not a priest. She's not educated. She's not, more importantly, a man. What she did have was God's favor. What she did have was His promise. The gospel that God is redeeming His creation through nobodies from nowhere places. She's a young girl from Nazareth. She gives birth to a baby born in Bethlehem. A stable, a refugee, a carpenter, an outcast, an exile who goes to a cross and then to a tomb. These are not the features of a heroic story. These are not the the things that Hollywood checks its boxes on to have a big blockbuster. This is the story, however, that God writes. The story of exiles, the story of nobodies, the story of underdogs becoming central figures in His story, the story that is writing the future, the story that is remaking the world. Misfits, then, are perfectly cast. They're perfect fits for the story that God Wants to, tell, wants to tell a story of God that is taking normal people and unfitting their normalness. And so as we finish, as you leave, as you embark on another week, the most significant thing about you, the most significant thing about you if you are a Christian this morning is not your reputation, it's not your abilities, It's not your education, your talents. It's not how good at the spiritual disciplines you might be, but that you have been called. And that just as real as it seemed to Mary and was to Mary, it is real, though not physically present and not visible. Just as real in your story, God is calling you into an adventure. And this Christmas... Our challenge is to say as individuals and as a church that I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you said. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would be with us and as we leave this place, as we embark on the coming year, as we embark on a new season as our church, as a church, as we think about our budget, our giving, our willingness to sacrifice, not only financially, but in terms of 
time and gifting and all of the things that you have given us that you are now calling upon us to use in in utility for the building of your church and the promotion of your peace and the bringing of your healing around our city and around the world. I pray that you would help us to be courageous, not finding the resources of courage inside of our own hearts, but in the fact that you call us and you tell us that you will be with us. And we pray that you would make that ever the more real for us. Amen.